Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Kathy Sheridan. First, the usual housekeeping in the kind of house where everything is neatly filed and sorted. That's to remind you that you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud or whatever app you happen to listen to the podcast on. And you can always find us on irishtimes.com. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast. Or you can email us on the Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. Also, if you like what we do, then do head along to iTunes, give us a review and tell all your friends about it. Today we're talking about endometriosis. We've talked about many distressing subjects on this podcast, but endometriosis for some reason is one of the least understood and the least talked about. Yet one in ten women are going to hear that word endometriosis from their gynaecologist. And that makes it one of the most commonly seen gynaecological diseases. It's below the radar status is astonishing. If one in ten men were to suffer from something as chronic, agonising and potentially life-changing as this, We'd never hear the end of it. Symptoms of endometriosis can begin even before a woman has her first period and they persist throughout their lives. The Endometriosis Association of Ireland is a voluntary organisation working hard to represent the many Irish women living with this condition. On their information leaflet, they describe endometriosis as the presence of tissue similar to the lining of the uterus and most commonly found around the ovaries, bowel and bladder but it can be found in other parts of the body. It causes severe and often debilitating pain in many women and is also associated with fertility problems. The condition can have a profound effect on a woman's quality of life far more than we knew it could even here at the Women's Podcast. Recently, the girls' actress, Lena Dunham, wrote about the surgical lengths she has gone to in a bid to control her endometriosis. So it's well past time to talk about it here. We asked Julie Ronahan and Bavin Nicklaim from the Endometriosis Association of Ireland, who both suffer with a condition, to come into studio to speak to us about it. But first, we talked to consultant gynaecologist Dr Eve O'Neill, who works with women who have the disease and I began by asking you to tell us what exactly we're dealing with here. Quite simply endometriosis is a chronic condition uh, whereby people end up having little bits of the lining of the womb that should only stay inside the womb become implanted in areas outside the womb uh, typically in the pelvic area but these little implants can occur in other areas of the body as well And what happens is that when you have a period and the lining of the womb bleeds, these little implants bleed in the areas that they're implanted and bleeding anywhere in the body outside of the uterus can cause a lot of inflammation and inflammation causes pain. And when you have it as a chronic condition ongoing, then you can start to get scarring from the inflammation in the area where the bleeding is occurring. And therefore, endometriosis uh, is one of the most common gynecological conditions that causes chronic pain and is, uh, in some women's lives, very debilitating. Yeah, and it's one of the ones we know least about, actually, isn't it? I mean, it was a taboo subject up to quite recently, wasn't it? I think 
um, we, we are changing in that regard, but there's still a huge uh, education needed in that area because the the studies show us that uh, very unfortunately that uh, that it takes an average of seven and a half years to get diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, and the studies also show us that uh, 70% of women with endometriosis had been complaining about painful periods for at least three years before they got sent on to get the diagnosis made. Um, so there certainly is a, a, a need for a, a lot more education around the area. And Aoife, we're not just talking about painful periods. What what no. are we talking about? So it's very common, especially when um, you start off having your periods in your teenage years, to have some pain with the periods. Um, but generally speaking, most young women will manage very well with maybe paracetamol and get on with going to school and having a normal day of activities without much impact on their lives. It's when it's painful periods that that affect what you're able to do, that you're missing school, you're missing work, you're not able to function, that you're curled up, you know, with a hot water bottle on the days that the pain is so bad you can't actually you know, perform any of your normal daily functions. That's that's the kind of pain that will flag that there's something wrong and that would need further uh, analysis as to why that is, you know. So those are the symptoms, are they, Aoife? Yeah, so the, the most common symptom would be pain and typically pain around the time of a period. Uh, some women would get pain uh, in the middle of their cycle when they would be ovulating Um a lot of women would also complain of pain when they have sex. Um, so pain is a big feature of it, uh, but it's a, it's an unusual disease in that some women who can have quite severe disease actually would have no symptoms. And, and, and on occasion, uh, when they're having um, an operation for a different reason, we identify that they have quite significant endometriosis, but it's actually not causing them problems. But for women who have significant complaints of pain that affect their ability to do their normal day-to-day activities, especially when that pain is in relation to their periods and their menstrual cycle, uh, that should be investigated further. The statistics, Aoife, are pretty astonishing. What percentage of women suffer from this? So uh, if if you look at the studies uh, that are done in, in terms of big population studies, the the prevalence of endometriosis in in people is about 3%. But if you look at the studies then that look at women who end up in hospital with pain and take those studies into account, the the prevalence is much higher. So we estimate that the prevalence is somewhere between 3 and 10% of all women in their reproductive age from, say, about age 15 up to the age of 45. 3 to 10% of women have endometriosis. That's a huge number of women. And they're basically dismissed for about seven and a half years and upon which they are diagnosed with this, with this awful affliction. Well, I've seen some, um, some fairly shocking delays in diagnosis in my time. Um, and as I say, I think a lot of it is, is, a, is probably a misunderstanding. You know, that unfortunately, um, it, it, it sometimes is perceived that, sure, it's, you know, it's part and parcel of being a woman that you go through pain when you have your period. Um, and it's it's very, you know, it's very upsetting for me sometimes when I see how long this has been going on that it wasn't twigged that 
you know, if you can't function when you have your period, that's not normal, you know. Um, and I suppose going to see a medical practitioner um, is is a, is probably the best starting point. But even even when when women do see their medical practitioner, um, there may be a lack of awareness. Um, in in terms of understanding the impact this is actually having on their lives and the need to look further and maybe get a, a, a refer the person on for a gynecological opinion, especially if the pain is related to their cycle. Um, painful sex, if as a key symptom, uh, yes. pain with bowel movements, urination, and lower back pain are other signs, and yet right. women suffer all this in silence. Um, it's it's actually pretty shocking. Uh, is, is there a cure for all this, Aoife, or is that scattering of tissue almost impossible to get a hold of? Um, I wouldn't say it's impossible. I, I think the, 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 the problem is that, uh, first of all, I think people would benefit more by getting a diagnosis on what is, uh, you know, what their condition is. Because we know, and uh, the large studies support the the fact that um, you can you can manage the endometriosis very well by taking tablets that help to suppress it, um, and the most common medications that help to suppress it and therefore help treat the symptoms of pain would include the oral contraceptive pill. Um, it would also include progestogens, which are a form of the female hormone that we make ourselves. Um, uh, but some people would need more than just medical treatment. They may need uh, surgical treatments. Um, and we know that uh, the studies would support that uh, doing surgery to remove these little implants actually does help manage pain. Uh, the problem, of course, is that because endometriosis responds to estrogen that your ovaries make, then the as long as the ovaries are working and producing estrogen, there is the the ability for the endometriosis to flare up again. And therefore that's where the, the problem lies because it's 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 then a recurring condition of pain for, for many women because of that. So there's no way this has been sorted out yet, Aoife? Well, we do get very good results in terms of uh, a combination usually of, of medical management along the lines, as I said, of utilising the, the oral contraceptive pill. Of course, where that can become an issue is uh, in, in situations where women who have endometriosis want to try and get pregnant. And what we also know about endometriosis is that sometimes it's identified for the first time because a woman is trying to get pregnant and that isn't happening. And her investigations as to why that is the case shows up that she has endometriosis. So we know that 25 to 30% of women who have infertility have endometriosis. So that's quite a shocking number of women identified in that way. Nearly a, thir- nearly a third so of I women. I wouldn't say that is not curable because we know that um, the, the driver for endometriosis, which is the production of oestrogen from the ovaries, and we know that women that end up having uh, their ovaries and usually they're talking about having a hysterectomy and their ovaries removed at the same time when the condition has become, uh, you know, such a, a long-standing issue for them. They've completed their family um, and now they want to, to have surgery to definitively treat and get rid of the endometriosis. That would be the most common 
uh, route to try and, and, and effect a cure. One of the major issues, however, is that it doesn't always completely clear all of the pain issues because when you have a chronic pain problem for most of your adult life, <clears throat> what happens is that the pain messages have been traveling so frequently uh, in to your brain that that, uh, that pathway is so well trodden, the, the sending of the pain message, that things that shouldn't normally send that pain message actually start to do it. So, so things like uh, filling up your bladder can trigger a pain. Sitting down on a hard bench can trigger pain. Um, you know, the, the, the loading up of your bowel before you have a bowel motion can trigger pain. And they're normal things that your body does that shouldn't normally bring the pain on. But because the pain has been there for so long, these normal functions actually start to trigger it. Um, and that kind of chronic pain needs a different approach and often we have to look at getting our uh, specialist colleagues who deal with chronic pain issues to uh, look at uh, pain medications that help to block the sending of the pain message to the brain. That's a very different type of pain and won't really usually respond very well to surgery. So you can see the the, the difficulties that many, many women face when you consider all of the things we've just mentioned in that short space of time. Aoife, you're one of a tiny pool of dedicated medical professionals seeking to help women with this condition. What kind of action do you want to see from the HSE and the government? Is, is everything being done that can be done? There are some of us flying the flag very, very uh, um, loudly <laughs> to try and change things. Uh, if I could give you a comparator... In the UK, for instance, uh, the, their government actually weighed in with significant funding to um, open up dedicated multidisciplinary specialist input into treating endometriosis. Uh, so across the whole of the UK, there are over 20 dedicated centres for management of uh, endometriosis, uh, where they would have a whole team of gynecologists, uh, bowel surgeons, bladder surgeons, chronic pain specialists, endometriosis nurse specialists. Um, and, and, and because of the, you know, the chronic nature of this disease, uh, I would often liken it to you know, someone being diagnosed with asthma or diabetes who have significant impact on their life by that chronic disease. Endometriosis is no different. And Aoife, do, do, how do women deal with it here? I mean, are, are there, are there centres here where they can go? So endometriosis uh, can vary from uh, being very minimal to being very severe. And broadly speaking, we divide it up into kind of four stages where stage four is the most severe. And Across the country, we have um, uh, all our general gynaecologists would be very educated and very uh, well able to uh, to assess and make a diagnosis and establish uh, starting treatments for endometriosis. The, the major problem occurs really in the area where the endometriosis has become severe um, and that differentiates itself because it can often involve uh, the bowel and, and the bladder and the tubes that come from the kidneys into the bladder because the endometriosis has the ability to penetrate into those organs. So it doesn't just sit on the surface 
any longer, which is what uh, uh, probably the, the most common form of endometriosis would be a superficial implant lying on the surface of the organs in the pelvis. Now, Aoife, you've explained very well how complex this can become when in, in, in its more severe form. Now, there's yeah. anecdotal evidence that women are travelling abroad for treatment. Um, yes. Have you any idea about how many do this? Um, unfortunately, I don't. And I, I actually tried to seek, uh, uh, you know, through the Freedom of Information, that information from the Department of Health um, um, and I went through the Department of Health because many women in Ireland have travelled abroad on the, the, the on the basis that the treatment for their severe endometriosis wasn't available in this country. So those figures would have to be recorded um, uh, because of the fact that you have to apply for funding from the government to travel abroad for treatments that aren't available in this country. Uh, however, I was unsuccessful in my um, attempts to identify uh, um, any numbers. And, uh, uh, I, uh, you know, I know through my training period working, I've trained through the Irish system of becoming a specialist in obstetrics and gynecology. So I know from my, um, you know, my pre-consultant uh, career that there were women who needed these forms filled out to travel abroad. So <clears throat> I felt that was very inappropriate yeah. that our country couldn't provide for these women's health issues. And can't provide the figure either by the sound of things, Aoife. Yeah, which is I found uh, quite shocking, um, you know, to be honest, like because I, 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 I know for a fact uh, that because I've, I've seen these women and the forms that have to be filled out in my in my earlier career. So I know that it happened. Yes. And uh, I, I, find, I found it hard to understand how that wouldn't be information that was easily obtainable, Indeed. you know. Well, Dr. Aoife O'Neill, look, thank you so much for talking to us this morning. We have two women here to talk about this condition further from a personal experience and also from being in the, in the Endometriosis Association. Julie, you are an intellectual disability nurse. You look perfectly uh, healthy to me. But actually, your story is is almost catastrophic in terms of what it's done to your life. Yeah. You're only 32. When did all this begin? Um, the, the easiest way, I, well, I know I, something was different um, whenever I had my first period um, when I was 13 because uh, I was one of the last of my friends to actually get a period. And we always laugh at the irony because I was really annoyed that I didn't have mine yet and I was away behind and I couldn't wait. And then it happened and it wasn't. You know, what they had been talking about. And I just know the way, you know, girls would talk and complain about pain. I knew the period pain that I was experiencing was different. You know, I would say, isn't it terrible how bad, you know, the thighs, my thighs get really bad. And, you know, I often would have, it wouldn't have been fainting, but it would be my thighs more kind of giving way. And, you know, I had friends saying, no, no, that's not how, how it goes. And it just, it gradually sort of got worse um, from there. And I had a very irregular cycle which kind of led to me being put on the pill so um I was fortunate enough then for a few years while I was on the pill it was um it did calm down you know the the period pain and at least I had a bit more of a regular just tell um, me Julie how did you know your pain was so different to your friends just from talking you know it would have been the symptoms I would have complained about you know my friends would have talked about you know, abdominal cramp and, uh, you know, and that kind of, that was really as as far as I got from friends, whereas 
For me, it would have been lower back. I would have had very severe pain in my thighs. I would have had a lot of pain as well um, with bowel motions. And this isn't something that nobody else um, sort of uh, had. And I was very, very fortunate. I have a brilliant GP. And, you know, through a lot of different, you know, talking to him through the years, we've always kind of thought something was wrong, you know, that it wasn't just your standard um, cycle and, and the pains that I was experiencing. And, and as I say, that was our first kind of trial was we'll go for the pill and see how how that works, um, which was, it was quite, uh, as I say, I had a few years, it was quite successful. But then sort of in my late teens, early 20s, um, you know, my pain wouldn't have been restricted to period anymore. It would have maybe have been, you know, coming a week beforehand or I would get these very, you know, sort of acute pain bursts that led me to, you know, many kind of this. When I went through the ED visits, I would have had very severe abdominal pain. It was that severe that you would have to go to the emergency yeah. department? Yeah, well, so I guess too, I never knew what it was. I had no idea what was happening, and I think for everyone, if you if you talk about a side pain or abdominal pain, it's you know oh, it could be your appendix. So, you know, we'll, we'll go in and um, and Julie, you were diagnosed with urinary tract infection, constipation, pelvic inflammatory disease, pelvic infection, suspected appendicitis, and query sexually transmitted disease. Yeah, yeah, that must have been a charming period in your um, life, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Um, it's amazing, you know, that you, 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 the different kind of scenarios that you come up with in the diagnosis, and you find it insane that when you find out about endometriosis, you just think, "How was that not mentioned before?" But uh, again, we we kind of laugh about the the STD thing. For me, um, I think we weren't long married, myself and my husband, and uh, I know it, the two of us. He was in the room with me, and we this had been maybe our tells time doing this together you know him taking me in and abdominal pain and um she mentioned you know possibly an std and she looked at my she looked at the ring on my hand and she made some comment about um as i say i can't remember if it was about whether we're married or you know are you sure are you sure that you know something hasn't happened and the two of us just we burst out laughing we thought you know, well, you know we would have laughed, we would have yes. cried. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yes. um, I just said at that stage, if they, uh, if I had been told that's what it was, and I would have had an answer, I would have been happy. It's a very difficult time going through these repeated visits, and you have no idea what's happening. Now, Julie, we're told that a laparoscopy, yeah, is the way to di- to diagnose endometriosis. Mm-hmm. But the odd thing is, you had one, and it didn't show up. Yeah, um, that does happen, uh, unfortunately. Um, you know, we speak to women still. This happens to today, and um, I'm not really sure why. Sometimes it can be down to maybe the experience. You know, a person might not deal with endometriosis cases very often. I was on hormone therapy with the pill, so it might have meant that it was more difficult to see. Um, but yeah, I, I was told that no, I didn't have endometriosis, and um, again, I um. The nurse in the ward thought possibly my pain was coming from not having enough orgasms. That was another one that I got told. Ooh, so year. yeah, that was a that was a fun one. But that's it. I was sent home. Um, no reason. It's not this. So I kind of then went back to the drawing board and thought, right, it's not that. But I'm still having this pain. So you hit the age of twenty six, and it was only when you started trying to have a baby that. Um, yeah, I'd gone through the really thought possibly it was a urinary thing. I would have quite severe, you know, urinary pain, pain passing 
uh, urine and if any kind of retention then the same with bowel I would have um, quite significant bowel pain and symptoms so I went down those routes but everything was all clear as far as a urologist was concerned everything was clear as far as bowel so um, I kind of I never knew why and then just yeah 26 I went off the pill and we said that we were going to start trying and as I say my GP he was brilliant and he he was always there to say you know, if it hasn't happened by six months, um, with your history, we'll try and, and look into it, you know, and see if anything's happening. And that's how I ended up with the second getting the second laparoscopy, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that finally produced a diagnosis. David, yeah. tell me about your experience. I've had painful periods, you know, from the, the start. But unlike Julie, I... I didn't discuss it with anybody and I didn't have the vocabulary to describe what was happening. When I was at college, I found it difficult to keep up with everybody else because I was just always more drained, more tired than anybody else. And during the time of my period, I would just have to take time off. And for me, going on the contraceptive pill was a godsend. It completely suppressed my symptoms and it kept me functioning, and it kept me functioning for a long time. And what happened for me is when I was with somebody, we both had good jobs, a house, etc., and we decided we would try for children. And that's when everything went completely wrong. I came off the pill, and because it only dampens the symptoms of endometriosis, which I didn't even know I had, Everything came to the fore very, very rapidly. And again, I thought I was quite self-aware and up on women's health issues. I had no idea just how ignorant I was. But the ignorance wasn't just with me. My GP didn't seem to know about endometriosis either because I was raising my symptoms with her, which I know now were all red flags for endometriosis. But at the time, I was told, first of all, um, I was just suffering from depression. So I was um, put on Prozac. I was given some very weak painkillers, which at least allowed me to relax a little bit so I could sleep a little bit. And when I started um, rectal bleeding, I was told that it might be piles, and all the other symptoms, the abdominal symptoms, were IBS. And I asked how, I didn't know anything about piles or hemorrhoids at the time. I said, so this is a cyclic thing, so this happens in time with your period. And I never got any straight answers. And, I mean, you know yourself, there's something wrong with your body, even if the experts are telling you it's in your head. You still, you've no choice but to fight your corner and be that troublesome patient. So my GP wouldn't refer me to a gynecologist. She referred me to like a bowel specialist instead to work out what the the uh, abdominal symptoms were. So for instance, I had a, a colonoscopy, which came out clear. And when I said, you know, but, you know, if this had been done during my period, would you find something else? And I was 
nearly laughed out of us at the thought that they would reschedule a colonoscopy clinic to tie in with my menstrual cycle. But the thinking is now, women's bodies aren't static. We don't have, our bodies change. You know, we, we do have a monthly cycle. And you need to actually time it right if you want to get to the bottom of symptoms, whether they're in your lungs or, or your bowels or whatever, that you need to actually be, I suppose, have an awareness that it could be endometriosis mm. and tie it in with trying to and diagnose. Baby, what finally led to the diagnosis? I was actually in the hospital awaiting an injection for hemorrhoids. I just thought I will comply with anything they, they tell me to do, I'll do. I just want to find out what it is. It was just two days after my period. And the same guy who'd laughed in my face when I'd asked about, you know, timing the colonoscopy with my menstrual cycle. I was there curled up on, on the bed awaiting it. And then he suddenly realised that there was no piles inside. There was something else going on. And he just left the room and I could hear him talking outside, something about gynaecologist. And that's when I finally got a referral to a gynaecologist. And the very first time I met the gynaecologist, he could immediately feel that I had very large endometrial nodules on my bowel going down into my, my rectum. And the, what had happened was that the disease had grown and it had actually invaded my my bowel so when I was bleeding every month I was also bleeding rectally the pain of which I, I can't actually describe because it was so excruciating I was passing out. Julie when you were diagnosed the diagnosis doesn't necessarily lead to hallelujah um, we know what to do now yeah. or did it in your case? The one good thing was that I, I had an answer I finally, you know, thought this is it. This is what's causing it. Um, as I, I know we had mentioned earlier, whatever small, small bit of reading I did in endometriosis, you know, in my head, you know, you do think it's gynecological. So it's period and that's all it is. So my other symptoms sort of threw me and I thought it was me possibly separate conditions. So to learn I have this one, you know, disorder, this, this is what it is, endometriosis, and this can be causing all of the, the pain and symptoms that I'd had. Um, it was sort of a relief and as, as well um, with the fertility kind of aspect. We thought, well, you know, we were right. There was maybe something, you know, kind of of an, in our way with that. Um, but um, with the diagnosis that I received, the, the gynecologist who did, um, who did diagnose for where my, some of my endometriosis lesions were on my ureters. And um, he just he didn't want to do that surgery himself. We don't ha we didn't have a special, you know, urologist in our hospital, so I was referred then for surgery. Um, to just you know a more experienced gynecologist, uh, for the for my third surgery. Um, but unfortunately, all of that it hasn't meant. Um, all my endometriosis hasn't been removed. I've also, it has been you know ablation where. The lesions are just burned at the top, so the roots left behind. So I've never had, um, for the majority of us, we can't say we're not endometriosis free, um, especially when we're going through, you know, surgeries that are these repeated ablation surgeries. It's just 
that we are sort of our enemy Joseph is being burned and charred and it heals and it, and this happens again you know and it just um, it started a, a road that has been quite difficult um, that would the really I know this is probably a terrible thing there aren't it can be a struggle to find the positives as I say one you know it was at least I had a diagnosis and there has been other things but it it has been a total sort of your roller coaster li- your, ride your since life, then your life has been pretty much fouled up for the past several yeah, years yeah I, I in know, every conceivable in way in every way yeah and, yes um, family it's uh, it, it changes you know I do know that it changes you as a person and I do know that as well and um, living with pain and uh, this pain that becomes chronic and becomes daily and this my symptoms have grown in severity and the you know the range of the symptoms the, the height of pain everything has changed for me um, and uh, you know it's gradually it just gets a little bit worse each time and I'd say probably the past two years especially has been particularly difficult and you know as we you talked about when we come in today, I know I look okay and I don't look like I'm feeling what I am and um, that's still something that we, we find quite difficult and we come up against often as being judged in our appearance. It's nothing a seen, but... Um, because you say your marriage has gone from being a, a partnership to an almost carer-patient relationship. Yeah, it has. Um, the you, you do, you have a good face. I know we laugh, we say, I've got a lot... And to make up in the past few years because it makes me feel that we've bit better, it makes me look that we've bit better, and that's kind of the face that you try to put out there, you know, to other people. But the one person that has really always seen me at my worst is my husband, you know, and he is the one who he's been the one that's picked me up off the floor when I haven't been able to to get up. He's helped me dress, get undressed and dressed in and out of baths, and you know, bringing me. I don't know how many hot water bottles we laugh at the amount of times our kettle is on. And um, I'm not the same person as we can't go out. Not that we would run out a lot, but we don't go out an awful lot anymore. And because um, he understands things like that. When I push myself, I have a flare for a week. You know, it's him now who tells me you can't do that because you'll be bollocksed for so many days. And, you know. And of course, fertility is still. It is. A, a, um, our journey kind of. We were, we came to an end. What we were looking at, as I say, with my symptoms um, progressing and my pain getting worse, I tried all, you know, the alternative routes. But I was getting to a very dark and a very scary point where I knew I wasn't going to be able to keep going with the, the level of my pain without some sort of pain relief. Um, and I knew it had to be strong pain relief. It wasn't just, you know, taking maybe a diaphragm and paracetamol. So that's kind of how our, our trying to conceive journey came to an end was just it was, uh, you know, as my husband said, he says, I just want you to be well. He says, this isn't the life either. So um, in a way, it was easy. It's the decision was taken out of our hands um, probably, as I say, about two years ago. Um, so, I, you know, I could give in, I could take the medication and sort of work with a pain specialist in that way and um and where, where you're left now, Julie, is 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 with a plan to travel yeah. to the US to have surgery. Yeah, um, I have. Which is not available here, I presume, is it? This we're tr- talking about, you know, the excision surgery. This mm. is the gold standard of treatment, and um, 
80%, approximately 80% of women who have this excision surgery with someone who is very experienced in excising endometriosis means that all their lesions are removed. So there is a significant um, pain reduction. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean we're not being left. As I say, we're not being left with disease. So that's it's a real, real, a real chance. We, we try to tell women to get in right away once surgery done right because the repeated surgeries are causing that bit much more damage when you go in. So I know I have that as a factor. Um, that is a complication most of us do. Um, the reason I've decided to go to America, um, with the association I had uh, the opportunity to meet um, many brilliant surgeons at the World Congress in Vancouver last year. And one who the one guy who I have to say I do think he probably is the best there is in the world um, we had the opportunity to meet him and I just I sort of kind of fell in love with him he was just this really wonderful humble man and who has such a gift um, but is so um, he really wants to help and he is helping so many women and I just talking to him and talking to women who have had this surgery who have had excision surgery and who have said they have woke up and their pain is gone. And Julie, just, just, well, why is it taking you so long? Why haven't you gone? Money would be my biggest. How much is it going to um, cost? To be honest, I'm not sure. America is quite hard to work out um, their their prices. Because Dr. O'Neill was suggesting there that that um, this can be funded. It can. We do have a lot of women now availing of the cross border scheme, who are going to surgeons in the UK. There are a few really. Uh, good excision surgeons in the UK and um, as I say that's a lot of women are going down that route and it's something I've thought about but in my heart I feel my best chance lies with going to Dr. Snervo in, in America okay. and uh, it's just that's sort of where my heart is and I'm okay if I know I have to wait and save I'm okay with that because I know there is that hope that that I will have a significant pain reduction and also that maybe I will get pregnant. The endometriosis will be gone. The hostile environment that it's causing will be gone. I'm still young enough to maybe have a chance, you know, of, of conceiving naturally after that. So for me, just I have made the decision that traveling to this, the Dr. Snarrow in America is is what I want to do. But um, as I say, women are going to UK as well. So, Bevan, we're, there's Julie on a note of hope. She's putting her faith in this American surgeon. What about yourself? I have had a lot of surgeries. And if I'd known back then what I know now, I would have made different decisions. But um, my endometriosis was very extensive. My, My pelvis was actually frozen. Everything was stuck to everything else. The first time they went in to do the diagnostic laparoscopy they realized they couldn't deal with everything then there and I had to come back in for not keyhole surgery but open surgery for a a substantial bowel resection as well so what I've realized is every surgery you do get some relief from it but then you also get the problems coming back and you know it carries its own risk and you also get a build-up of adhesions. So you you not only have your endometrial adhesions, you've got the adhesions from surgery, which can make 
even simple movements like twisting around in your chair, very, very painful. It's a long-term thing. It's, there's a lot of things in there causing pain. So, yeah, you do have your chronic pain condition where the, the neural pathways are hypersensitive, as Dr. Eva was talking about. But there is also the, the damage that is there. And I've got to say, like, um, surgery for endometriosis is incredibly difficult, complex. The skill level required to excise endometriosis is on par with cancer surgery. And it really takes a lot of experience and knowledge to actually recognize endometriosis in all its different manifestations. Now, both of you have traveled to Congresses and you've heard you've heard new theories on what causes this. Um, Julie, tell me a little bit about what 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 you have learned about the latest thinking on, on endometriosis. Um, yeah, as I say, the, the Congress said it, it was fantastic to hear, you know, the different theories that there are and, you know, um, even women themselves discussing their own situations and, you know, it, it's, it's trying to get, they're trying to have this, you know, make this wave of change and to educate women to say that this is a disease that, you know, it isn't coming from your uterus, it isn't your uterine lining, it is cells similar to the lining. So it's those cells, those lesions that need to be removed. And, you know, it's it's not that having a hysterectomy will make a difference because we're talking about endometriosis outside. You know, it isn't in your uterus. Um, it's outside and it's having these lesions removed. And also, you know, there was different theories um, presented. One of the talks was, you know, in relation to a hysterectomy including, and also ovarian removal. Um, would it have an impact, you know, uh, pain relief or, or prevent endometriosis from recurring? Which again, that um, it isn't the case as Bevan touched on it when we're talking about, you know, the skill it takes for a surgeon. Endometriosis is, a, a, it's a crazy, crazy complex condition and we are learning about it every single day. Mm. And we might think we know one thing and it's possibly changed the next. So, and it's that complex. Endometriosis themselves, as we we kind of laugh, they're just they're self-sustaining. The lesions can produce their own estrogen. So even if our ovaries are removed, they can't produce their own estrogen. They can. They can. The lesions themselves, yes. yes. So if we did have our ovaries removed, and the endometriosis wasn't, so it's it's still there, it is producing its own estrogen to continue to cause pain. And let's say we kind of there was a talk as well on menopause and you know does menopause make a difference? You know it does many. At the reduction of estrogen. Yeah, does it make that difference? And do we have a pain relief? And does it mean no to you know endometriosis pain? And again, unfortunately, that's not the case because of endometriosis being its own little self-sustaining, yeah, you know, powerful uh, kind of complex thing. It's I, I I read about it every day. I read a lot to try and, you know, keep myself up to date and to say that it's the research is ongoing and, you know, we are continually learning. We're not sure of the cause exactly. And, you know, we, we talked about Samson's theory was an old theory and they're opening up to more now, you know, to say that possibly, well, we know that um, we have been, we're born with it, fetus, 
um, have endometriosis has been found in fetuses. So we do know there is a genetic factor, um, you know, and now they're possibly looking at that as a cause for some. Potentially, there's something else which is a cause for another. There's a lot of work. Yeah, and adolescence as well, we're talking about, seems to be even more complex, Mm. you know, than it is. Well, Bevan, I suppose the good news one bit of good news I can discern <laughs> in all of this is that you have a thriving association which is getting this information out there, which will obviously push for further research and hopefully raise funds. You work as a volunteer. You both work yeah. work. You both you're both yes. with with the Endometriosis Association of Ireland. Uh, with the the web address is www.endometriosis.ie. Oh, that's as simple as it gets. <laughs> Um, and you are continuing research, research, research. Yeah, I mean, one of the the things is that when you've been through our endometriosis journeys the way we have, you do kind of go, this is so unfair. The system is kind of loaded against women, you know, that you're ignored when you go to the GP to report your pain. You're fobbed off by by doctors who really ought to know better. And that the treatments you're getting aren't always the, the best. And you're thinking, this is so wrong. There's a real injustice being done to women. So you kind of, you put your fatigue and your own pain to one side and you go, right, this can't happen. Young women out there today, they deserve a timely diagnosis. They deserve to have appropriate treatment. They need to get the best possible surgery they, they can so that they can live a full life, that they can do what they want to do, that they can stay in their jobs, that they can keep on doing their college course or stay on at school or have babies if, if they want to, at, you know, at a time that they want to and not have to deal with the, the myths and the, the misinformation and carry this whole burden of... of anxiety about the future, about trawling through people's misconceptions. Mm. So for us, it's really important, yeah, just... Well, it is really important. And and, and beginning with that extraordinary statistic that one in 10 women, to some degree, Mm -hmm. suffer from this awful affliction. Julie and Bevan, thank you so much for coming in. The best of luck, Julie, when you travel to the US, which I hope you will very soon. And Bevan, thank you so much for coming in and continuing to to volunteer to spread awareness of this endometriosis. It's clearly something we need to talk about, however unpleasant it might seem. We need to know a lot more about this condition and the kind of research that's happening and to support it. That's it for today. My thanks to our guests, Dr. Eve O'Neill and from the Endometriosis Association of Ireland, Julie Ronaghan and Bavin Nicolaeum. Good luck to Bavin and to Julie, from whom we hope to hear good news sometime soon. Today's podcast was produced by Roisin Ingle and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.